Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pendola Project. I am your host, Matt Pendola. And I'm Jake Parker. And we had an excellent conversation today, Matt. We were talking all about the pyramid to success for you, your pyramid to success. Yeah. How are we going to get to our goals? What kind of skill sets do we need to establish for our goals? And we all can do better with this. Even myself, Jake, just having these podcasts talking about these subjects, I love it because I'm always thinking, man, how can I be doing these things better? It's actually helping me a lot. So selfishly, even if nobody ever listens to me, I think I'll still get to a better version of me every day. So that's good. Same with me, man. My sleep has been better since we talked about my bad sleeping habits last week. Yeah, and I've been more punctual, not always punctual, but... That's true. I'll vouch for that. You got here on a great time today. We also talked about building a strong foundation and what it means to do the, I don't want to say boring things, but the less cool things to give yourself a better foundation so that when you do get to the cool stuff, you won't hurt yourself. We talked about I am possible. We talked about habit changes, training for a reason. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about what is your real foundation? How have you established your industriousness, your enthusiasm, your friendships, your loyalty? But this is all around consistency too. And I think that that's what can really help us. If we're consistently working on these things, not for just days or not waiting, like we say, to the new year to establish a better habit, but just consistently working on these things now, that's kind of also what we mean by doing the things that maybe are not the bells and whistles, the things that take some industriousness to really achieve, but well worth it once we achieve those things. And we realize a lot of times that, geez, you know, it's not even that hard to accomplish or it's not as hard as I made it out to be in my mind. And it just reminds me of last year. I think I told you this already, Jake, but I fell through my roof. Oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. I should not be allowed up on the roof anymore. You big dummy. What were you doing up there? uh, Moving stuff around and trying to uh, clean house a little bit. But I fell through the office roof and thankfully it wasn't that big of a fall, but I did tear my meniscus doing it. So my point is I had to stop running for a little while. I had to go back into the basics myself. But it also made me realize what a lot of my clients were going through when they first started up. Because I had to start over with the basics again, I was reminded of how hard it is to do my daily protocol. Whereas, yeah, before I could do, I could kind of get away with not always doing it, but now I had to do it very consistently or I probably wasn't going to be able to run anytime soon. And thankfully, it all did work out. I'm running pain-free. I've been able to put that behind me, but it did take a lot of that foundational work again to do. And it even invigorated me to reestablish better foundations with my current athletes that it might've been, say, several months since they had done some good foundational work. And I believe in non-linear progressions where you're always doing some sort of stability, mobility, for example, which is part of your base training. 
But we can all understand that the more that we reinforce those patterns, the better off we're going to be. And I think that that is the lesson that I learned, that we could spend a little bit more time on these things, even that we were, to get our athletes that weren't even going through injuries, but we are now improving their prehab, if you will. So for everybody listening out there, there's ways that you can eat better. There's ways that you can improve your habits. So this is what we made this podcast for. I'm really excited. I want to hear what you guys think about the podcast. Don't hesitate to send us an email. Yeah, please do. You can always get in touch with us. We are pendolaproject at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. You can give us a like there and you can always message and talk to us and each other. That place is for you guys to talk to each other as well. And now on to your pyramid to success. Matt, we are back. How you doing, man? How was your week? I'm good, man. I'm feeling good. You know I was sick the week before. Yeah, you're over that now? I'm over it. Okay. Feeling really good. Unfortunately, the wife got sick next. Look what you've done. Blame it on me, Yeah, man. look Blame what you've done. Me. I know. I feel bad. But we know that she's going to feel better, and then she probably won't get sick again for... Two more years. A couple more years? Yeah. You knock one out? Yeah. Once every couple of years. But uh, this was really going around. And I think that once in a while, you probably are going to have to suffer the consequences. We, we seem to have stave off a lot of the different things that go around when all the kids we work with and all of the germs that were around. We do a pretty good job of not getting sick. So every once in a while, we'll have to get sick. But what's what's uh, been great is our daughter, Mia, has not gotten sick. And used to be when she was younger, she'd kind of catch things going around. And she was the one getting sick all the time. But now she's good and so she didn't get sick from either one of us that's a good sign i think she's built up some immunity well yeah you'd mentioned germs and gyms are notoriously dirty places i know you keep a good clean gym but talk about germs kids man kids are filthy oh yeah well we do we make it a priority we clean that gym daily now, not saying top to bottom, but we spray everything down. We do a pretty good job with that, I think. And everything does get clean top to bottom once a week. So if we're using equipment, we're wiping it down. That does make a big difference, too. Yeah, people notice. Yeah. At my gym, when something's all sweaty, Ugh. gross, man. Yeah, nothing worse. Than- it's always like a some guy you don't know, and you're like, ugh. Yeah, you see somebody's sweat on the bench. Yeah, and then you can see it came from that shirt. Yeah. Because this shirt's all sweaty and stinky, too. (laughs) And it's like, come on, man. Wipe your stuff down. Clean up after yourself, man. What are you doing? I had a great workout this morning, actually. I should say training. We don't say workout. You don't work out. You train. I know. Force of habit. I've been calling them workouts all my life, but I We all have, man. Right? Yeah. And actually, I learned this from the great Bobby McGee, who I'm actually going to go see. Me and Bobby McGee are working together in two weeks. I'm really excited. So going down to Colorado to work with him, we're collaborating on progression plans for runners. So I'm super excited about that. I'm looking forward to it. But I decided to get back to the basics a little bit more. There's a guy, his name is Emil Zotopek. And I was telling one of my athletes about this on our run last Saturday, 
about Emil because he won the gold medals for the 5,000, you ready for this? The 10,000 and the marathon, setting Olympic records in all three. That's a pretty broad accomplishment. So what we can really learn from Emil, he had it pretty tough. He was... he. Uh, was born and raised in Czechoslovakia. And so he could not travel for something like five years during uh, World War II. Oh. So he did all his own training. He coached himself. He actually is, what I feel like, responsible for creating interval training, if you will. But interesting part about him, he was in the Army himself, and when he was running in the woods, mind you, in the winter, he would run with his military boots on. Man, that's crazy, right? Like, who does that? You're so not, tough. You're not running in Nikes? I know. I think about the, I have to go get new running shoes. But when he went into his training, he decided that there had to be a better way. So he ended up creating a lot of the different running progressions that a lot of us follow today, even if we don't realize it. Obviously, the, the success he had is why a lot of people followed those programs afterwards. But what's really interesting is he would do, say, 400s, and he could not tell you what his splits were. He didn't know. He just knew that he did 400s. So the point to that is I felt like I'd been tracking my paces along with some of my other runners getting ready for the CIM marathon. And that's been going really well, but that gets a little bit stale. And over time, you start to limit yourself with what you think your paces should be. So I want to get off of that for a little bit. So we decided we're just going to go 90 seconds hard pace. Maybe it would be 90 seconds at a steady state pace. Maybe there would be a mix of interval pace with some steady state pace back in there. So it was kind of like a fartlek within a fartlek. What's a fartlek? So that's speed play. Okay. And it's more like the word play. So you will see a pole, let's say, in front of you. You're just going to surge till you get to that pole. Got it. But then you want to find your rhythm again and get back into your running rhythm, so to speak, so you don't necessarily recover fully or, or jog easily. So a form of interval training? Right. Okay. But then eventually you're going to take that easy time too. So we just decided, okay, in this 90 seconds, it's all good, whatever you want to do. And then in this next 90 seconds, it's about running at a easy pace. And so we decided we would call it the Zotu plan. So we're doing the Zotu training plan now in recognition of the great Emil. So that was fun. I enjoyed it. It brings us back to the basics. I, I think with Strava out there now and all these different applications we can use and the watches we all have with the GPS and it's great to have his tools. I think we rely too heavily on those things. They can kind of bog you down at times, right? You get a little too obsessed with the details. And so with your running training that you were just describing, it sounds a little more natural. Not that the details are bad, but they have a time and place, right? Yeah. And I tell my athletes this all the time is, yeah, we, we train for a reason. We know that we're fit, but we need to go out there and take some chances when we 
are in a competition, we want to see things as being competition and not a threat. So I like it when my athletes take chances out there and decide, you know what, I'm feeling good. I think I'm just going to kind of go for it right now. I think that too many times we're just sort of set in what we feel like we have been currently pigeonholed into, but we're the ones doing it to ourselves. And that's where I want to get out of that because, listen, I'm not this great athlete. I think I'm average as an athlete. I think I always have been, quite honestly. But you know, I've won some titles. I've set some records. I've yeah, had some history there. If you're average, I'm hopeless, man. No, but that's the thing as I really am average. And so was Emil, by the way. He was an average athlete. And when you hear his stats, you're like, that's not true, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, because what was above average was the mindset. With him in particular, I would say callousing his ability to put himself through discomfort. And callousing his feet. <laughs> right, callousing <laughs> his feet, right? Yeah, with those army boots on, uh, that was a good one. And I think that we've kind of lost that art a little bit. And even as a coach, I can get stuck on numbers and I have to remember that it's more, it's so much more than that. And there's a old saying with athletes that are at the highest level that it's not 100% physical. It's not 100% mental. It's both at the same time. So even though obviously we know that you can't be at 200%, one thing that athletes like myself have learned over the years is certainly train smarter. And we're going to be talking about that today quite a bit. But also remember that once you're fit, what your mind can unlock from there, man, that is 100% of it at that point. Absolutely. And I mean, you take away the details and those numbers and those statistics that you have worked hard to curate and you've worked hard to get yourself to that point. But if you take that away, what are you left with? What is your constitution? What is your foundation? You have to bet on yourself. You have to buy into what is possible. There's a good one, the word impossible. Mm-hmm. So I'll write impossible on the board in front of my athletes, especially when they're new. Mm-hmm. And they don't already know what the answer is. So what do you see, Jake, when you write the word impossible. So everybody, if you want to just stop the podcast right now, write the word impossible down. What do you see? What does that word say to you? Spoiler alert in three, two, one. I'm possible. I am possible. Right. So you just put in that one little apostrophe up top, right? Is that an apostrophe up top? Is yeah. That what that is? Yeah, you yeah. got it. Yeah. I didn't Opposite say from I was, a comma? I didn't say I was a smart man. I'm just... <laughs> he so, knows many things, but... <laughs> spelling, uh, that's always <laughs> been a nemesis. So I'm possible. It's the same spelling. It's just one change and it's mainly just how you see things how you choose to see things and all the time i've asked my athletes that when they first see it on the board i've only had one athlete that actually went up and made that little change and that's what she saw that was one athlete i've i've had did that well what happened time. to her she's probably going to run for president soon yeah she's uh, she's a badass yeah, yeah. i believe yeah. it man no that's that's good i like that because all it does is it takes just a simple change of the mind and you can see a totally different meaning 
Yeah. So we need to be able to see things happening for us and not to us like we talked about before. And we need to take some risks. We need to take some chances. We need to bet on ourselves a little bit. How you can become a better version of you through your pyramid of success. Mm-hmm. And you've got the John Wooden pyramid of success, the famous image. I'm looking at it right now. At the bottom is industriousness, friendship, loyalty, cooperation, enthusiasm. And then it's got four more tiers. Yeah, and there's a reason why that base is cornerstoned with industriousness and enthusiasm. Okay, tell me why. Well, first of all, if you are enthusiastic about what you're doing long term, it's hard not to be successful. But think about it. When we first get fired up about doing something, man, we're we're gung-ho, we're ready to go. Everything that happens from there tends to tends to be more challenging to keep that going, right? So I say I can help a person to understand what their why is. I can help them to understand what a good goal might be for them to do and maybe hopefully be even a bit of an inspiration for that person. But that's not going to fuel the fire. We've all seen those examples and we've probably been that person who says, I'm going to go and sign up for the gym tomorrow. And you're all pumped. You get your new membership month later you haven't used it because that fire went out right and so that's where on the other side of things industriousness industriousness to me is doing the things that are necessary but that you don't necessarily want to do mm. so making a plan like how fun is that right I'm, I don't want to I'm just going to go do it every day well without making a plan we might start to run into some obstacles that derail us before we know it we haven't stuck to that plan we haven't stuck with our consistency the way that we should. And we talked about habits in the last podcast. Well, we want to have good habits, obviously, to be able to reinforce our goals and our why. But life gets in the way and we need to be able to make that plan. But also there are days, believe it or not, Jake, where maybe I don't feel like getting up early. I don't believe it. Right? And when Alan, she, I thought she was such a great guest, wasn't she? Oh, yeah. If you haven't listened to that one yet, go check out our last full-length episode with Win Allen. She is inspiring, man. I left that feeling really good. Yeah. And I will say that with all of the athletes that I've worked with over the years, I don't know of a better person than Win. And when I say better people make better athletes... She is one of those people that we can learn a lot from. I don't care that she's still younger in her years. She's very mature. She's an old soul Mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. But to even just hear her honesty about how she didn't always wake up early and it was, she didn't always want to do things and that she had to have some self-talk just to tell herself not to hesitate. Things like that all come into play. But with industriousness, I know plenty of people that work very hard, but they're not working hard enough at the things that they don't like. Mm -hmm. They tend to just focus more on, well, I I like this part of it, so I'm going to do this. I'm guilty of that. 
and I think, well, I know we all are. It's human nature. We take things for granted. We think, I talked about how with me, my time management just can't take it for granted that people will wait on me. It's disrespectful just because I have a busy schedule. And even my wife was commenting after I talked about that. And she said, you know, it's not... You're telling the truth. You're always busy. You're never just sitting around. But I love that you're working on this now because it's always kind of bothered her, too. Sure. And she's a very punctual person. So I think that'll help my I think that'll help my marriage out, too. She's happy that I'm working on this goal. Good thing one of you two is punctual. No, you're doing a lot better on that, man. And I, I commend you greatly because today you were on time. You were even a little bit early today. I was even a little bit early. I was. Yeah. I wasn't ready for you. I was reading a book. Again, full disclosure, I haven't been on time for everything since last week. I said I would fail sometimes, just fail forward. So I've been late a few times, but it's getting better. I'm on time or early more than I have been probably ever. Progress, man. Progress. So I'm just going to keep moving in that direction and trying to learn from when I am late for something. I mean, it's been, again, a couple minutes here and there. And why is that? No more excuses. It just means that I have to get going earlier. It means that I have to improve my concept of of time management. And so I'm just going to continue to work on those things. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to the culture. I I sound like that proud dad, but I just am. I, I feel like what makes the gym different in a lot of senses is you go in there, the athletes that I have in there, they're not all quote unquote elite athletes, but they have the elite mindset and they're in there doing their protocol before their training. They're, they show up early and they get their training in. And a lot of times we are having those conversations about mindset or nutrition, those things that keep them on track with what they need to achieve. And they put in that extra time and they deserve all the success because, you know, really they are doing everything that they need to be doing to improve themselves and the culture in there. So it's just, it's fed and fed and fed off of each other until now. I feel like the culture has been running itself. I'm just a small part of it at this point. I just like to see what's going on and smile and think, wow, this all started with just an idea, but now it has really taken on a life of its own. I I swear my athletes need me less and less. I'm working myself out of a job. Which, for them, is a great thing. I don't know how you're going to get by, but we'll deal with that when the time comes. But uh, that's called a holon, a holonic structure. So when each piece is independent and yet crucial to the whole... So these kids are taking your culture and they're emphasizing it. They're spreading it themselves. You don't have to be the one conducting it and directing it. They're doing it themselves, but it's still a part of the whole. You know, I like that a lot. And I do have to... I got to give one story about this. That, and I know you were talking to me just before this podcast started. We, Jake and I are actually friends and we went out and got a bite to eat. Sometimes. Talked. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and we were talking about sharing information with other coaches, with other even quote unquote competition. Versus being really guarded and uh, very Hold threatened. Your close yeah, to your like chest. feeling really threatened by, by other people trying to work like you do. Yeah, because the more that we, as a culture, the more that we share what we know, and that's what we're doing on this podcast too, 
the better. It's not going to hold me back because other trainers learn something that I might have been able to help teach them or even that another athlete can help to teach other athletes. That only makes us all better. The example that you told me is someone can literally have the same piece of paper that you do and not get the job done the way you do because you'll see something that they won't because they didn't put those hours in. They didn't put in the research and they don't have that foundational understanding. So when they rip off of you, they don't know how to interpret it. They can't adapt when something needs to change. That's right. So really at the base of all of your goals is that foundation that we're talking about with industriousness, enthusiasm at the cornerstones. And from there, where do we take it? Well, let's talk about strength training first. In our community, a lot of our information out there talks about the bells and whistles more. But what's important is that we have our foundation, that we've developed our base. Because without our base, those bells and whistles won't do much for us or might even get us hurt. So at the base of a strength training progression plan is going to be mobility, stability, proprioception. Okay, which can we take a minute, Matt, and talk more about those things? Yeah, sure, of course. So simple thing you can do is just look in the mirror, Jake. The muscles that you can see in the mirror, those... look great. They look great, yeah, fantastic. (laughs) Those areas tend to need more mobility, The muscles you can't see tend to need more of your activation, your stability. So we want to address these needs from the get-go. And when we start a strength program, there's no need a lot of times to do anything more than simple calisthenics. That's a basic thing that we can start with. It's not the bells and whistles, but if we start lifting weights right away, and we have defeated mechanics. We don't have the proper mobility stability. We can't balance using proprioception on one foot. We can't do a single leg squat. We have no business, in my opinion anyways, trying to load up that bar and hitting squats when we can't even balance on a single leg and we have a shortened hip flexor and we have a weakened upper back. Now, when we go through programs that have calisthenics, we can really slow things down with our body weight. We can choose to work on all the same archetypes that we're going to need to use in our lifts. So we want to be able to press, pull. We want to be able to level change. We want to be able to rotate, especially thoracic rotation. We want to have good stability through our spine. So all these things come into play as we progress into our training more and more when we are now loading these mechanics, we're actually getting the benefit from adding that extra load. But for most of us, we can stand to benefit from a good calisthenic phase. And by the way, calisthenics does not mean easy. No, definitely not. And, you know, a lot of times people just in their mind just goes like push-ups, right? There's, there's so much more that we can do there. But I like to use triphasic training in the beginning. Ooh, that sounds fancy. Yeah, yeah, really fancy. So it's uh, 
basically slowing down your repetitions and using breathing patterns from the very beginning to start to regulate the tempo. And the tempo, guys, is just the amount of time it takes you to perform a rep. So from the beginning, I would say breathing in for an eight count when you're going down is the eccentric loading pattern, let's say in a push-up. As you're going down and lower yourself to the towards the ground, it takes an eight count breathing in. Then you're taking a four count breathing out. The eccentric has the longer loading pattern, the concentric, about half of that time. Eccentric being the way down, or the negative, as it's often called, concentric is the way up, the push of the push-up. Right. And so those, you'd be amazed when, just look in, go and look in any gym, you almost see the same exact repetition patterns with every single movement and every person in there. Their reps are taking them about two seconds or so a piece. The eccentric is fast. The concentric is as fast as it can be. And so they're doing, say, 8 to 12 reps or 6 to 12 reps because that's what we've been told is the best rep range. Well, when you're doing your rep patterns and you do, say, 12 reps and it's been about 15 seconds, your time under tension hasn't been long enough for enough adaption. So we want to generally spend longer period of time to get stronger. We need to be able to control those movements and really be in control of those movements, especially before we start to try to load further. So the other part of it is the isometrics. And there's two main parts in isometrics. You have your yielding isometrics, you have your non-yielding isometrics. What I start with is the yielding isometrics. So an example of that would be, say you are grabbing two dumbbells, you are laying down on a bench, and you are rowing those dumbbells now up, and you're holding those dumbbells. So the dumbbells are in an isometric position, specifically where it's the hardest area for you to hold that weight, which is kind of your sticking point. Your elbows are squeezing in, your thumbs are roughly by your ribs. Generally, I have the elbows going past the ribs a little bit further even and just really working on a good scap squeeze, for example, and then holding that weight for 30 to 60 seconds. That's a great way to start to really develop the back and to start to really also recognize the patterns for your body. It might have been a long time since you've done anything like that. So if you're just holding those patterns where it's hardest to hold, well you'll start to realize that it doesn't take a lot of weight initially. You might be using, say, 10% of your body weight, and it's really hard to hold that pattern for 30 to 60 seconds in that yielding isometric pattern. And so that, in turn, allows you to understand your form and your row pattern, in this case, a lot better, and you'll start feeling your lats when you row. If you just jump right to doing heavy weights, or if you just 
just get right on that cable row and stack 100 pounds up and just start rowing, you're going to use momentum. You're probably not going to really control the pattern. And so the odds of you, you know, springing a leak, they're greater. But also, what are you accomplishing anymore? That's where I say the bells and whistles, I mean, yeah, they're fun. And you see that on YouTube and Instagram all the time, like, oh, wow, it's amazing what that person's doing right now. And I, I want to go do that. Well, you know, what you're not seeing is the progression plans it took for probably a good couple years or longer before that athlete was doing those things. You can't cheat the basics. You can't move past the base and expect to get the same kind of result or outcome from that. And if you are getting into this, if you're getting into your fitness because you want to post it to Instagram... I think you're in it for the wrong reasons. If you just want to use the bells and whistles, that's fine. But doing the stuff that doesn't exactly make you look cool, that's going to be a much stronger foundation. So if you go into the gym and look like a weirdo like I do, everybody looks at you like, what's that guy doing? Why isn't he deadlifting? Well, there's a reason why I'm not deadlifting today. Yeah. And when my athletes first come off of a competitive season, the last thing I want to do is put more impact onto their joints. Last thing I want to do is to compress them further. So we're going to do a decompression phase. And my athletes know what that really means. That means they're going back to calisthenics. They're going back to more accessory work. But, you know, they're all like, oh, because they know it's not easy. It's just, it's a different kind of hard. But Is it fair to call it simple, but not easy? Yeah, simple, but not easy. And also, I would say that even with my experienced athletes, very necessary to reestablish good patterns before we get back into those deadlifts again. So a common thing that I talk about is the single leg for example, work that I mentioned before, if I have an athlete that cannot do the work on a single leg in the range that we need to accomplish, well, that's the first thing that we have to get back to or that we have to start with. And when I have athletes that have been competing for three months, their bodies need a break from all of that compression. But it's also just a different way to work hard. So it's a new challenge again. And they're going to feel much more of that, call it the metabolic burn. You know, they're going to feel their muscles burning. But it's not the same as slamming your joints down onto the ground, creating as much mass-specific force as you can. It's not the same as loading your lower back heavily. So you're going to actually get stronger just in a different way, and you're going to reinforce your base, which means that when you now go into your strength progression, where you're going to start picking up weights again, you start to work with heavier weights, and then eventually you're going to do more power work at the top of that pyramid, you've only reinforced your potential each time around. So this is good for everybody, not just beginners, but I will say that with beginners, they need to spend a long enough time in that base work and really as much time as they, as needed and that they can before they move on to the next level. Now, you might be asking, well, how do I know that I should progress? Well, of course, 
having that coach's eye that I do, I can look at where my athletes are progressing and how they're coming along, what their movement looks like compared to what it initially looked like. But even for yourself, you can also stretch to go off of perceived effort and also recovery. So you start noticing that these efforts were initially an eight for you and now they're more like a six it's time to move on and change things up usually that's going to be three weeks six weeks maybe for somebody who's a beginner though it can be three months but i'm not saying that you're always doing the same exact workout every time either it's important to switch things up but let me switch things up right now and give an example about how our perception is important If you first start out and you haven't done any training in a long, long time, or you've just never really trained, you want to start off with something simple like going out for a walk. Now, how many calories are we going to burn on that walk? Well, we might only burn Jake, you and I, we might only burn a few hundred calories because we've become pretty efficient at walking for, let's say, a longer duration of time, maybe something like 30, 40 minutes, an hour even. But when somebody first starts out, they're not as efficient at those things yet. They're actually burning more calories. Yeah, heart rate's going to be higher. Yeah, and uh, and of course, over time, they can be more efficient at those things. And then now it might be time to start adding in some power walking to where they're just, say, taking five minutes in that walk, and they're walking a certain section as fast as they can. And then they might expand that time to, say, 15 minutes. You could take it to that next step where you say, well, now I'm going to start to do some farmer's walking. Farmer's walks are, in my opinion, probably the best thing you can do for your core. So just do me a favor, guys. If you think it's doing sit-ups, I need you to do a little bit of research on how the abdominal chain and the core actually work because your core is going to be activated much, much more in a farmer's walk. A farmer's walk is where you're going to hold, say, a couple of kettlebells by your sides, but keep your lats squeezed so your armpits, you're squeezing your armpits, you're keeping your lats engaged. So good posture. Break, good posture. Nice and good. tall. Yeah, and, and you're, getting, you're getting that spine nice and long and strong and stable. But as you walk faster with those weights, you're creating that mass-specific force a little bit more through your glutes and your hamstrings to create that hip extension. While you're creating that hip extension, you have to keep your ribs down a little bit. In other words, engaging your core a little bit more so that you don't shift from side to side or spill your spine forward and backwards. This is just a good example of how you can make progressions you haven't even started to run yet. But now let's say you feel like it is time, you're, you've done that work. Now we can start to add some running into this progression. So we might run for a minute and out of every five minutes, we might say run for a minute. We might take a minute where we're using those recovery breaths we talked about. And then you might power walk for a minute or two 
take another recovery minute, maybe even in that minute doing some dynamic movement. If you know that you have, let's say, a tighter calf, you're going to take that time to mobilize your calf a little bit more, maybe walking backwards a bit, getting the back line of your body a little bit more stretched out from your hamstring and your calf in that case, then you might be running another minute and repeating that for a half an hour. So in that time period, you've only run for six minutes. You've done six minutes of power walking, let's say, and you've done another six minutes of dynamic movement and the rest was recovery breaths, walking easy. You build from there. Eventually, you might be running for three minutes and walking for two. You might be running now 40 minutes, but it's a broken run, I call it. So you're focused, again, more on quality over quantity, but you are getting in 40 minutes where your heart rate has had variability and it's forced into adaptions, especially to recover after those running cycles. And then you can get into some consistent running. Like let's say now we're going to run for 20 minutes in a row. And eventually you can build your way up to running for an hour if that's your goal. And then from there, you can start to look at 5K running plans and those kind of adaptions though are so necessary and i started this off just talking about how in my opinion it's not wise to start off with the bells and whistles so i want to run a marathon because that seems to be this huge accomplishment where i ran a marathon and i get it to say that you completed a marathon that's awesome. But the question is, after you've accomplished that goal of running that marathon, how do you feel now? Did you grind out your knees? Do you have issues to the point where you can't keep running? Was it a lot of fun for you to train for that marathon in the first place when you might have had pain occurring in week three? Did you accomplish what you really wanted to accomplish there? And hopefully everybody listening can understand that I just, I want people to be able to accomplish these goals long-term, lifelong. When you're 60, there's no reason why you can't run a marathon if you've taken really good care of your body and if you've learned proper gait mechanics. So it all comes back to whether you're lifting and you're trying to lift heavier or you're running and you're trying to run further or faster. You have to have the right mechanics to support that. And not everybody's mechanics are exactly the same, but when your body is operational, when your body is moving really well, it feels completely different, Jake, than when you are just grinding it out, when you're straining to be able to get another rep done under defeated mechanics or when you're trying to finish one more mile and your knee is just killing you. That's no longer fun. That's also not something that you're going to be able to do long term. So I think that's where we sometimes miss the point of having these goals. So instead of training for that first marathon, I want my client to be able to get really efficient for the 5K and slowly move our way up. Maybe it's never going to be the marathon once we realize the amount of time commitment it takes or something like that. And that's fine 
running too. What's wrong with running a 10K and running that as fast as you can o- over time? Still a great accomplishment. And I think the take-home message for the listener is you can take a step back in order to take two steps forward. Yeah, absolutely. And we were going to talk a little bit on this about nutrition as well. Jake, you've worked with clients for a long time. What do you think sabotages people the most when it comes to, I'm going to say the word, diets and, right? Diets and just goals that are more centered around composition, more aesthetic type of goals, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good. There's nothing wrong with that. We all want to look good, don't we, Jake? Of course, man. I do too. So now we could talk about how we can apply that same pyramid to nutrition, to our composition. This can also be a performance goal that we have. We want to support that goal with good nutrition. But let's just say now, for the sake of argument, that our only real goal is going to be more aesthetics. We want to just look better. We want to fit better into our clothes or buy completely new wardrobe because we've lost so much weight. There's nothing wrong with that either. And of course, there's a ton of health benefits to that as well. So Jake, what would you say, what's the biggest obstacle you've run into when it comes to clients that you've had and their aesthetic goals? My first guess would be the internet. Say, hey, man, I saw this article and it said I should be eating this many calories a day. How come you told me more or you told me less? Yeah. I mean, calories, that's a big hole to get into, right? Yeah. How many calories should you take in? Well, people ask me, can you just give me a plan with calories? And I feel like sometimes... I'm supposed to just write out these calories for them, or I just don't want to do the work. Like I'm being lazy on my end by not setting up their days and their calories. And it's like, no, that's, that's not why. In fact, there's so many easy ways to be able to do that. Even when you get, let's say my fitness pal is a good way to track your calories, for example. Right. And so you can get an app like that and it's going to show you what your calorie goal should be on there. But That, to me, is the wrong way to go about it. And I know that when my clients think about food as a good source of fuel so they feel better about themselves, so that they perform better, so that they can live a longer, healthier life, that's a good relationship now that they have. When they see food as being the enemy and they decide they're going to diet down, and especially when they're talking about any sort of extremes here, that's when I know that we're going to have short-term success, if any, and it's no different than starting my client out loading dysfunction uh, in the weight room. We don't want to start them off on a plan that's unreachable long term. So did I guess right, Matt? Was the obstacle you were going to mention, was it calories that you read about on the internet? Yeah, I think that it's important that you understand what you're putting into your body and why, and it's a good set point. And that's the difference. I'm not saying that you shouldn't look at calories at all. I'm saying this, know your set point. Just like if I were to say, 
push-ups are good for you, but you can't do a single push-up. Well, obviously, we can't start with push-ups or you're just loading defeated mechanics. Even though it's your body weight, that doesn't make it okay. So we have to figure out what your set point is really and then go from there. So once you've established a set point and that's at least document for three days, don't change anything. Just you want to know what you're doing on average. So at least three days, which you document. It can be longer, but that's the minimum I ask for. The crazy part is out of all the clients that I talk to about all the frustration they have with their weight and their composition. When I offer to look at their plan to help them or advise them a little bit, I say, okay, write up those three days and get back to me. They almost never do. Maybe they don't want to know themselves. Yeah. I think that a lot of times just by writing those three days down, you'll already see the patterns that are hurting your results. You're already you already see that you have to make some changes right then and there. There's some obvious changes. But then you look at three weeks. From three weeks, we can start to really understand how this is going to have to change in order to help towards our future goals a little bit more. So at the three-week mark, we've really established our set points, but we've also started to make some small incremental changes after those three days, but in the next three weeks. And that to me is just small changes. So if I have somebody that is taking in a lot of boxed food, which we know is going to have a lot of fillers in it, they're not eating a lot of whole, real, natural foods, they're relying more on quick and easy. I'm not going to take all of that out, or I'm not going to advise they change all of that that first week. It's just too much too soon. And they might even start to get some patterns that are what I call a false positive, like, oh, I'm feeling hungry all the time, or I feel like my energy is just so low. Well, even though a lot of these things that you've been taking in aren't necessarily good for you, it's what you are used to. And we don't want to make those changes so quick that we can't adapt. Yeah, you'll go into a form of withdrawal. Right. So in general, now, look, I'm just going to give a number here as an example. But in general, if I have somebody who is taking in 2,000 calories, I might have them eliminate about 150, 200 calories somewhere in there a day and just see where that goes. So over a three-week period, maybe we've lost a little bit of weight just by making a small change like that. Maybe we haven't lost any weight because we're actually training at the same time and we're replacing some of that fat loss with muscle gain. And we know muscle weighs more than fat. So I don't personally go off of fat percentage numbers because, first of all, I don't think that it's very accurate the way that we test for fat percentage. There's no way to get a totally accurate reading. Every test will be at least a little bit different. Listen, this is the thing. If I am going to give somebody a number, I know that that number can really sabotage them. If it's not accurate, I'm not going to use it. So that's then and there, I realized that I'm not going to go that direction as a coach myself. 
for me, I'm just going to keep it simple. You can use measurements in the same exact sites and you can use that. You can also keep it even simpler and just look in the mirror, see how your clothes fit. You have a pretty good idea. I don't really get stuck anyways on all of that. If I'm less than 10% body fat and I feel really good and I'm performing really well, fantastic. So right now I'm probably sitting somewhere around 9%, maybe 8%, and I'm doing a lot of training for this marathon in the North Face Trail Championships. And so I'm, I'm fairly lean right now. But I have other athletes that I don't think that being at 8%, 9% would be very healthy for them. And then there's other people who are going to do much, much better, feel better, move better, live better at, say, 16% body fat. We're all different. We're all individuals. In general, if I have an endurance athlete that's doing really, really well and they continue to hit PRs, then the frustration for me is hearing from such and such a coach that, well, if she was a little bit lighter, she'd go even faster. And that's such BS. And guess what? Females are supposed to have a higher body fat percentage. And you'd be amazed at how many times I hear from other coaches even. In other words, people that athletes are listening to and trust that this now you need to go on this diet because your body fat could be lower or your overall weight should be lower. And yet you're going through incredibly hard and stressful training where recovery is absolutely essential and yet you're taking away a lot of the very nutrients you need to recover that's just a horrible way of thinking so athletes eat and train they don't diet and exercise but for those of you out there thinking well i'm not an athlete that part doesn't apply to me we're all athletes when i say that in my mind we are all meant to be athletic there's a difference between performing at the very highest levels that you can in sports or even competing in sports, period, and being healthy. But we're all athletes because we're all meant to be athletic. All that really means to me is that we're meant to function well, have good performances, whether it be, you know, whether we're timed in those performances or monitored in those performances or not. I mean, for a 80-year-old woman to walk into the grocery store, buy her groceries and walk home, that's an athletic performance. We should all hold ourselves to those same standards, I feel. So let's not be afraid to go into the gym and do those goofy-looking regressive moves. That way, you can take even more strides forward and toward your goals, whatever they may be, when you do get back to the cooler-looking stuff, right? Yeah, man. So just a little bit of a story for you guys to think about and how it can apply to yourselves and, and your life. But with myself, I don't have necessarily the best genetics. It took me a long time to get noticeably stronger. And when I talked before about the base of my pyramid being mobility, stability, and proprioception, guys, I didn't start that way, but I wish I had. I ended up suffering a lot of injuries as a younger athlete, and it wasn't necessary. And then when it came to the strength training, I was simply pushing way too hard too soon because I wanted 
more muscle and I wanted to be able to get stronger. And I had that athlete's mindset that I must have to grind it out if I'm going to be able to get these results. And the truth is that I did a lot of work that my body couldn't adapt to. I got too sore when I did my training and I thought that was good. I could barely move or sometimes I couldn't sit down and that is too much. Your body can only adapt to so much at a time. So having that kind of mentality, now I know that I could have been much smarter and I actually could have gotten much better results. I could have actually gotten stronger, grown more muscle, had better aesthetics, all that kind of stuff sooner if I had been smarter about my progressions. So I wish I had known then what I know now, but I am here to tell you getting the results is very, very possible if you're just willing to start with the base and move your way up from there. So guys, what I really hope everybody can take away from this is that, of course, there is that higher level of training and you can all get there if that's really in your why and if that's really what you want eventually you can get more towards that peak but really i think the answer is a little bit more moderation when you're at about 80 percent 90 percent it gives you more freedom you have less time commitment to the training overall also you're probably going to have less risk of injury so risk versus reward remember that when you see a lot of these top athletes performing and at one time i was running over 100 miles a week trying to make it to that level i'm here to tell you that that training did have a purpose to get me to a higher level for performance but it certainly wasn't healthy the very top ends of sport, it's not actually super healthy for you necessarily. And that's an area that um, I have to address by saying that when I do train, say, a boxer like Joey Gilbert, when he was in his heyday, when he wasn't training, the rest of his day was getting recovery. He was getting massaged by a massage therapist. He was having his meals prepped. He was having entire team around him to support his goal but he was basically either training and and resting and recovering most of us we don't have that option we are training and then going to work we want to make sure that our goals will match up with the rest of our lives and that we can actually recover because work plus rest equals success and that's what we need to realize here and just remember that when you are working initially with calisthenics and you are working through your nutrition plan with these incremental changes, it doesn't mean that it's easy and your body is going through a lot of adaption at the same time. You're just giving the right dose of adaption that you need so that you can reach your process to success will now be more and more clearly defined in front of you as you take the proper steps. And then you can decide, do I want to take it one more step further or is it right for me where I'm at now?
take care building that foundation of that pyramid to success because as you grow higher your foundation needs to be stronger yeah man and i hope you found something of interest there and if you like the show give us a little review wherever you're listening always get in touch with us our email is pendola project at gmail.com and on facebook at the pendola project thank you as always to our sponsor reno running company where they've got all the gear and advice to get you going and keep you going. We'll talk to you next week.